The reading this morning will be taken from Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. In your pew Bibles, that is on page 969. That's Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. We welcome you to our services, but we also welcome you to Friends Day. It's an exciting day for us when everyone makes a concentrated effort to try to bring their friend and, and encourage their friend to come. And it makes our day exciting, and it helps us also think about the importance of friends and what a wonderful blessing that is. Before we get into that, I want to give just a real quick uh, announcement to our members Next Sunday is going to be a ministry fair where every ministry that we take part in, you'll have the opportunity to visit with a deacon and our elder and learn more about that particular ministry. There will be eight tables set up in the simulcast area. And in that area, there will be people manning those tables that will be able to answer questions for you. So if you're newer to the congregation, it's an opportunity for you to learn all the ways that you can be involved. And for all of us, you may be, after serving for two years in a certain ministry, there may be another area that you want to learn more about and you want to get involved in that. And so every member will be asked to fill out what we call an SOS form. It's serving our Savior. It's the opportunity for us to serve God and and all of the works that we do will be organized in this fashion and so it's a wonderful opportunity for you to get involved. The goal is this simple. Every willing servant has a place to serve and this is a way for us to communicate to you. So we appreciate the deacons that will be working this week and have already been working putting this all together and we appreciate you making the time in your schedule Right after Bible class, those booths will be manned. Right after this second service, this, those booths will be manned. And for about an hour before and after Sunday evening service. So that'll give you an opportunity to pick one of those times and plan to either stay a little later or come a little earlier. And it'll be a blessing to you. You know, when we talk about friendship, it's easy to say a lot of positive things about friendship. Because friendship is such a blessing. Winnie Pooh once said that if I live to be a hundred years old, I want you to live a hundred years minus a day so that I'll never be on earth without you. Of course, he said that to his friend. Someone else has also said that friendship is the bacon bits of the salad bowl of life. I don't know about you, but that's some of my favorite parts of, of the salad. Also, someone has said everyone hears what you say. But friends listen to what you say, and best friends even listen to what you don't say. 
A friend knows the song in your heart and can even sing it back to you when you can't remember the words. Friends are a tremendous blessing. We've asked our young people to fill out a little information sheet, and many of you have already stood there and you've read those information sheets that those kids have filled out talking about their friends that they have in their life. I want to share just a few of those with you, and this may help you even think about the friends that you have and and how long you've known them and why you appreciate them. Little Jack Brown, he's one of our five-year-olds here, and and he's going to mention another five-year-old, and he says, my friend is Nathan Arnold. He says, now we met the other day. We've known each other for 10 years. Now, you need to realize Jack's a lot smarter than what you think he is. Because, see, Jack's known Nathan for five years, and Nathan's known Jack for five years, and so they've been friends for ten years. Now, he even says we're friends because we've been friends for a long time, and we like to play Transformers and eat sandwiches together. Carolyn McGreevy says that her friend is her mother. He says they met at the hospital, and she likes... She likes for her mother to tell her stories of when she was a little girl. Claire Brown's friend is Sidney Palmer. They met at the Corinth Church of Christ Mother's Day Out, and they've known each other for 10 years. They are friends because they like many of the same things, and and she says, we're almost perfect friends. What a beautiful description. Amelia Smith says that her and Sidney Mann are best friends, and they met each other in the three-year-old Bible class here at Mount Juliet, and they've been friends for eight years. And they're friends because they like the same things. They like sleepovers and macaroni and cheese. Now, when you think about your friendships, how long have you had your friends? And how did you meet your friends? And especially think about this. Why are they your friends? If your friends were to say that about you, what would they say? Why are you their friend? You know, man did not design friendship. A group of men and women did not sit down and say, we're missing something in our life. We need to come up with some new kind of relationship. We need to design friendship. No, God is the one that designed friendship. And God has spoken about friendship since the beginning of time. And it's no doubt that God tells us the things that we need to put into our life if we are really to be the friends that we ought to be. We could study many characters in the scriptures that would help us to better understand friendship, but I don't know of one any better to study than that of Barnabas, the text that was so capably read just a moment ago. I'd like for you to go back to that same text in the fourth chapter and look in verse 36 again. Look in 36 where he says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levi of the country of Cyprus. It's interesting to think of a man like Barnabas that was willing to sacrifice so much for others. We see it mentioned in this story here in the text, but we also see it as we go throughout the book of Acts. Now, did you notice something here significant? His name was translated, Son of Encouragement. But notice, where did that name come from? His name was Joseph. Also, the old manuscripts would say Joseph. But yet the apostles named him Barnabas. Now, if your good friends that you spent a lot of time with renamed you something, what would they rename you? You might say, I can't even say that. 
But now think about it for a minute. Isn't it wonderful that here Barnabas was real close to the apostles? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this event took place, but I can assure you it took place one day because God's Word just said it. So let's just pretend. How would this day take place? You imagine Barnabas probably did something tremendous to encourage one of them, or maybe to encourage a stranger, maybe to encourage another Christian. And one of the apostles turns and says, that guy's amazing. He is always doing good for someone. Well, you know, the other day he did this for me. And you can imagine one of the other apostles spoke up and said, well, you know, I remember a while back he did this for me. And you can imagine the apostles talking among themselves. Look at what he's always doing for other people. He is, he's always sacrificing for other people. And you can imagine one of them says, we're going to rename him. We're going to call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. What a beautiful thought. That the people that no doubt he would have been very close to them said one day, we're going to call him Son of encouragement. I believe that's one of the reasons that we can say Barnabas was probably one of the best friends that a man could ever have. I want to challenge you. Let's live in such a way that if our friends renamed us, that they would name us something that would be an encouragement and would be an asset and a compliment to friendship. But now let's notice a principle that wasn't only true of Barnabas, but it must have been true of the early church. Let's go back to this same text. And I'd like for us to read verse 32 and then drop down and see this description of Barnabas at the end of the text in 37. Notice this principle that we see of the early church in the 32nd verse. And what I mean by this is I'm saying to you, God's Word calls us to a higher standard of living. In other words, if, if you're this kind of friend without being a Christian... You and I ought to be this kind of friend, being a Christian. In other words, these people were living and looking at life totally different now that they were Christians. Notice that again back in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, a description of verse 32 was especially that of Barnabas. And look at 37. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Isn't this a beautiful thing that is not true of our human nature? It's true when we decide to become a Christian. We stop looking at everything as mine. These people in 32 became believers. These believers stopped looking at everything as it's mine. Instead, they said, these possessions... If there's other people without, I want to make sure that I share with those that are without. You know, from our infancy, we know how to be selfish. We know how to claim our territory and our possessions. If you've been around two toddlers lately, you've probably heard the word mine when one reaches for the other's toy. Mine when one reaches for the other's blanket. Or maybe if the mother of one goes to pick up another child, that one says, mine, speaking of their own mother. Friends, we don't have to be taught to claim our own possessions. But we do have to be taught to believe that our possessions are not given to us for us to claim them. They're given for us to use them, to sacrifice them for the good of other people. 
Now, there may be someone here this morning that you look at the example of Barnabas, and it may be that you can honestly say, I can't imagine anyone looking at an investment in a piece of land that they have and seeing other people over here in need and saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell that land right now, and I'm going to take those proceeds, and I'm going to give them so that they can be used to benefit others. If that's hard for you to imagine, I want to tell you something. There's probably someone in this audience that's done either that exact thing or something very similar. Not because of their own righteousness. Not because they were born that way. There's people in this audience that have sacrificed like that because they have learned from Jesus Christ that their possessions are not really theirs. That their possessions are only theirs to sacrifice for the good of others. So let's think for a moment. No doubt we would want, if we were sacrificial people, and surely we are, we would want to sacrifice for our friends. But you know, we are even sacrificed beyond that of close friendship. Let's think about a few passages as we look at this next screen. And you may want to turn to these. James, the first chapter. In James, the first chapter, verse 27, we see a group of two individuals that the Lord doesn't give us a choice and say, now, if you're a Christian, you might want to help these people. Please listen to this. Those of you that are Christians, please listen to this. The Lord is saying, if you're a faithful Christian, you would have already made sacrifices for these people in your life. And so if that pricks my conscience, and when I read this and I say, I can't remember ever doing that, I want to challenge you not to let many sunsets before you can say, I have sacrificed for these people. Because this is a command from God. In James, the first chapter, verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The original Greek word here for visit means to go with open eyes. Now notice it was to visit them in their trouble. In other words, he gives the setting here. We're going to go to someone that has a need in their life. They have a trouble in their life. And they do not have parents involved in their life that can help them. They're orphans. Or they do not have a husband involved in their life that can help them in this particular trouble. And the Lord is saying to Christians, I want you to go with them. Not just so you can say, well, I patted them on the shoulder and I told them, I'm I'm proud of you and you keep the faith and we'll be praying for you and I'm going to go about my business. He says, I want you to go with open eyes to see what you can do to help their trouble. Orphans. The list is endless of ways to support and to encourage and help them. Have I sacrificed lately for the well-being of orphans? Many have because many were here at a breakfast yesterday where over $11,000 was given to the help and the aid of orphans among just a few adults. What about widows? Have you sacrificed lately for to meet the trouble in the life of a widow? You know, to some of us that are six foot tall, it's not any trouble for us to reach up and change a light bulb. That may be a trouble for one of our widows. It may be trouble to run an errand. It may be trouble to pay a water bill. For a widow, the Lord looks around the six billion people of the earth and He says... There's a group that I've assigned to help you. I'm sure they'll be there. I'm sure they'll be there soon. 
because they're sacrificial people. And keep in mind, this is the Almighty God. He's saying, I've already supplied what they need. All they have to do now is come and do it. If it's money they need, God says, I've already given them the money. If it's ability they need, God says, I've already given them the ability. I've given them the time. I've given them the life. You just wait because Christians are coming. Because that's what I've told Christians to do. Christians are people that just reach out and they serve and they give. Not by their own nature. Because their own nature is, it's my time. It's my abilities. It's my possessions. But because we're Christians, we're taught, it's only mine as a steward to give it away in service to others. Now we see the next line there, Matthew the 25th chapter, we have a glimpse of the day of judgment. Now there are many aspects of the day of judgment that probably aren't even revealed to us. But we do know this about the day of judgment. We know that the Lord is going to be concerned what we have sacrificed to other individuals. Let's just read a few lines here in the 25th chapter. I'm going to read 35 and 36. Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came into me. Now, some of the righteous are going to say, Lord, we never saw you in that condition. When did we ever help you in that way? And the Lord's going to say, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do you see what Jesus is teaching there? Jesus is saying, when you go about and you sacrifice for individuals and you say, I don't even know this stranger. I don't know really if I'll ever see this sick person again. I guess it's good for me to do something for them, but I don't really know why the Lord wants me to do this. I don't really know why the Lord wants me to serve this prisoner. I mean, what difference am I really going to make? And the Lord says, you've done this for me when you've done it to the least of these. Brethren, I need to realize that one of the reasons Barnabas stands out in the Scriptures as a son of encouragement is because it is apparent that he looked at his life, his abilities, and all of his possessions as such as to sacrifice for the good of others to the glory of God. Now notice Luke the 10th chapter. You probably know this story pretty well. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you remember the result of a question about who's my neighbor is the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus told this story so individuals could learn who their neighbor was. And He uses what was a a high wall of prejudice to really magnify this point. In other words, there was a man that would have been a Jew coming down from Jerusalem and he was robbed and half beaten and he's laying there and he's in desperate need of help. And a Levite passes by. Surely he's going to help his own blood, his own kind there. No, he doesn't. Surely the priest, he's a religious man. Surely as he passes by, he's going to help. No. Well, there's no hope for this guy because the next guy coming by, he's a Samaritan being stereotypical here, if you will, he's going to look at him and say, good enough for him. I can't stand those people. Oh, no, no. He goes over to him and he bounds up his wounds and he pours in wine and and oil and, and he cares for him. He lays him on his own beast and he takes him to the inn and he looks after him all night long. He gets up the next morning and, and makes a deal with the innkeeper. You take care of him now and when I come back through, I'll settle up with you what is owed. Friends, do you see the lesson that Jesus is teaching here? He did this for a stranger. And He did it for what most in His society would have said is an enemy. 
It's wonderful that we can have Friends Day. And I need to recognize the fact that one of the true marks of friendship is when I'm willing to sacrifice for others. That's what builds strong friendships. But please note this also. As Christians, our sacrificing goes far beyond just friends. It's a challenge. It calls us to a higher standard of living. Now, we thought about ourselves in this first point. In other words, if I'm going to be the friend I ought to be, I must sacrifice. But now let's think about the other person for a moment. As we sacrifice, what are we wanting to do for this other person? Look with me, if you will, uh, to another story about Barnabas. Let's look to the ninth chapter now, the book of Acts. In Acts, the ninth chapter, we're going to read in just a moment, 26, 27, 28. As we look at those three verses, I want to remind you what has happened in this chapter leading up to this. If we were to go back to the previous chapter, the eighth chapter, we would be reminded of the fact that Saul was a harsh persecutor of the church. I want you to imagine that Saul had just torn uh, your uncle, your grandfather out of the church and he'd thrown him in prison. And when it came time to vote whether or not your relatives should live, he voted that your relatives should die. I want you to imagine that every time Saul passed through town, you had to gather your children together and you had to run and hide somewhere for fear that he would bring persecution onto your family. Well, now something tremendous in the ninth chapter happens. Saul is now converted to Christianity. The one that went out and persecuted Christians is now the one standing up and saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. Time passes and he wants to go back into Jerusalem. But there's a problem. They had spent much of their time running from this man and they don't know that they should do anything different but continue running from him. For effect, I want to read a verse, skip a verse, and read the other verse. And I want you to note the drastic change from 26 to 28. Notice how they run from him in 26. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Notice that. He tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. But now something happens in 27, and let's read the result of it in 28. So he was there with them. Now that's talking about Saul. Saul was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. What a change. Over here in 26, he's following around. Not throwing rocks at them. He's following around. Hey, can, can we... Hey, I would like to worship. Hey, I, I'd like to serve... And everybody's running. And you can imagine poor old Saul. I'm trying to join up with these Christians. The only thing they know to do is run from me. I don't know what else to do. We come two verses later and you see the group of Christians at Jerusalem and Saul's right there in the middle of them. You see them going out of a building and Saul's going out of the building with them. You see them going into the building, he's going with them. You see them going out of Jerusalem, he's with them. You see them going in... Can you imagine a fourth grader going into class for the very first day and, and he's scared, he doesn't know anyone, and he feels like it's me and it's them. A few days later, you see that he's, he's, he's all in the group of, of three or four other boys and they go to lunch together and they go to, to recess together and they, they change their classes together. And you say, oh look, he's going in and out with them. Would this really be a need among adults? Yeah. Do adults need to belong? Yes. Do adults need friendship? Yes. 
Do adults need fellowship? Yes. Well, we've got a problem. We have Saul here and he just can't get into the group. There needs to be someone that's looking out for Saul's best interest. Now let's read that verse between. And it's no surprise to us, but isn't it beautiful? Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him. Remember, everyone else was running from him. And brought him to the apostles. Now they didn't run from him because Barnabas was there. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. When we see this, it's quite striking and even touching that Barnabas had that kind of influence. And that Barnabas could really bring out what was best for Saul at this point in his life. Saul needed to belong. He needed to be accepted. There was a great potential in the life of Saul for the tremendous missionary work that he could do. But he couldn't do it if the church didn't accept him. There was great writings that he could do. But he needed to be accepted by the church if he was really going to be able to do those effectively. There's great sermons to be preached, great lessons to be taught, but he had to be accepted. Who was the one that was going to take him from this point of being rejected to the point of being right in the middle of them? It was Barnabas. I want to ask you, when it comes to you thinking about sacrificing for your friends, can you honestly say, I'll sacrifice for my friends to bring out the very best in them unconditionally? Now, before you're real quick to say yes, I want to ask you this. Even if you sacrificing for your friend makes your friend have even closer friends with some of your other friends, are you willing to do it? You know, some people get real possessive of their friendships. Well, I'm just afraid if I start asking them to do things with us that that they're going to start getting closer to each other and I'm, I'm afraid they're going to leave me out. Can you imagine Barnabas standing there? Man, I love running with these 12 apostles. I love being around these disciples in Jerusalem. I'm just so afraid. This guy's powerful. Saul's a great man. He's got a powerful personality. I'm just afraid that if I introduce him here, that he might really take over the limelight. And you know what happened? He introduced him there, and you read on just a few more chapters in your Bible, and he did. He took over the limelight. And you don't see Barnabas grieving over it at all. Why? Barnabas was a good friend. Barnabas believed in bringing out the best of others all to the glory of God. Friends, I'm afraid that our human nature does this to us. I'll help my friend as long as it keeps them one notch below me. But I just don't want them to have more friends than I have. I don't want them to have more opportunities than I have. I don't want them to have more blessings in their life than I have. And so I'll help my friend... And I'll sacrifice my friend, but I'll only sacrifice and I'll only help if it's in check. Let's be a genuine friend. For the glory of God, let's have a goal that says, I want to help every friend grow to the best that God has created them to be. And if that best is better than you and I, isn't that a blessing? Because we're all in this together for the greater good. I want you to think with me to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, you'll notice it's the great chapter of love. You'll see the definition 
starting at verse 4. I want us to think, especially as we close this lesson, verse 7. He says in verse 7 that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, I want you to think about Barnabas here. I want you to think about the Jerusalem disciples here. And I want you to think about Saul here. And what is it that Barnabas was really doing? Barnabas was bearing a load. He had a friend that needed to be transferred from here to here. It was going to be better for him. It was going to be better for the church. It was going to be better for everyone. And he was willing to bear that load. Who's going to believe that he's really repented? I'm sure Barnabas could name Christians that he had persecuted. Who's going to believe that he's really worthy of forgiveness? I tell you who. Barnabas is going to believe that. Who's going to hope the best of this man? Barnabas. He's going to hope that he is who he says he is and hopes that he makes a difference for an eternity. Who's going to endure in this and make it all happen? Who's going to put his arm around him and say, Come on, I'll introduce you to the apostles. I'll take you to the disciples. Come on, they won't run if I'm with you. Isn't it a beautiful thought? Recently, at a retreat that was a working retreat among elders and deacons and ministers, there was a lot of plans made and and a lot of good that came out of it. But late one night, We put a timeline up on a wall and Andrew asked each man to tell when he came to Mount Juliet who it was that most encouraged him when he first came and how did he do it. I want to say it was kind of surprising to me, but I know it shouldn't be. But you know, out of the 40 some odd men that spoke up that night in a process that took about three hours. There wasn't one man that had to hesitate and think who it was that encouraged them. If you're here today, it's because someone has encouraged you in your life. If you're here today, it's because you have an opportunity to encourage someone else in your life. Who is it that I'm going to make a difference? So that maybe they could look back and say, I remember back in 2006, I visited a church for the very first time. I was looking for a place to worship God. I was looking for a place to serve God. And you know, to be honest with you, when I came the first time, I didn't know what to expect. I was kind of out of place. But you know what? So-and-so, they made me feel like I belonged. They looked for me. They encouraged me. They befriended me. This morning, I want to encourage you. Let's use our life as a sacrifice. Let's take our time. Let's take our energy. Let's take our abilities. Let's take our possessions. And let's sacrifice for the good of others. And let's realize that as we're sacrificing, we are literally doing it to make the other person's life better. Even better than us. And that would be all the better. There's a friend named Jesus. He wants to befriend you and me.
He's died on the cross for us and He wants to save us. If you're not a child of God, I want to encourage you this morning to look to the best friend that's ever been offered to you. And you have to decide if you want to be a friend with Him. If you believe that He is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you do that this morning? Or if you've allowed something to separate you from that friend and you want to repent of it and and confess sin and pray forgiveness, let's make sure that we all leave here this morning not only being the best friend that we can be to individuals, but making sure that we have the best friend, the Savior, in our life.